Father, thank you for the prayers of your people. Thank you that your ear is open to us always. Lord, that none of us has to beg an audience, but Lord, that we can come boldly to the throne room of grace to ask for mercy and help in time of need. Jesus, we thank you that when you perished on the cross, the veil to the holiest place was rent in two. From the top to the bottom. And Lord, that this beautiful picture was given to us of the access that we now have to you. And Lord, I pray that as we come before you as your church, as we pray, as we seek your face, that we would see this loving Father who beckons us, who calls us to himself and wants us to spend that time with him, seeking his face, who wants to give us mercy and help in our time of need. And so, Lord, I pray for all of the prayers this morning that were unspoken, Lord, that are inside of hearts and minds right now, Lord, that they would pray those to you in their own hearts. And recognize, God, that you hear every single one. That your compassion and your love is for us. And Lord, that you are for us. Jesus, we thank you for this access to our Heavenly Father. We thank you, Lord, for our relationship with you. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. And I ask that the Holy Spirit would now cultivate our hearts. It would prepare the soil. And Lord, that your word would fall upon our hearts. And that it would take root. And Lord, we would see fruit be born in this body that we would see fruit in our lives that we would grow together in unity and we would grow together in our effectiveness in this community and as far as you desire to take us lord thank you for the opportunity to share with your church this morning thank you lord for the privilege to be gathered in your name we don't take it lightly may we never take it for granted jesus we pray all these things in your precious name amen hey it's good to see you guys it is really good to see your faces. Um, happy to be home. I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't give you guys fair warning. Tyler and I are on about a day and a half of being back. We got home uh, Friday night from Thailand, and so we are underslept. We're on a completely different time zone. Um, it feels like midnight 30 to me right now, and I'm so tired and foggy-brained I can't even say it right. So... Thank you for welcoming us home. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to share. I remember when we started planning this trip, I told Tyler right off the bat, I was like, dude, this is going to be brutal, but I think we need to share at church on Sunday morning as soon as we get back. And he was like, okay. <laughs> Did I do it right? Did I, does that, yeah, that's, <laughs> Tyler's like, yep. <laughs> Tyler and I got very close on this trip. Um, we spent a lot of time together. A lot of our, our mornings and evenings were either, you know, briefing each other on what was coming for the day or debriefing. I won't make any underwear jokes. It was just a great time. We had a really wonderful time together. <laughs> wow, I really thought that'd get more chuckles. It wasn't in the notes, but I was like, I'm going to go for this brief joke. I'll bet that'll nail everything. I, don't know, I guess not. Okay. So you guys, I just wanted to, as we begin, um, I'm going to have Tyler come up and share with me in a moment, um, but I wanted to begin by talking a little bit about our heart for this trip and why we did what we did. Um, we don't do missions with no point. We don't do this just because it's what the church does. We do it because it's a calling. It's a commissioning that God's given to us. And so I want to talk a little bit about the heart of Transform uh, in missions. And I also wanted to do something at the very beginning before I even get into a text. And that is, 
I want to greet you from our missionaries in Thailand. For those of you especially who know Ethan and Marie, Eric and Michaela and Becca, um, I just want to say hello and that they love you and that um, they require that all of you give me a hug on the way out because they wanted to hug you guys through me. So I don't know what that's going to take out of me, but I'm willing to do it. Um, But it's great just to express to you guys how much they appreciate you and how much they care about you guys. And in fact, from the entire team, all 19 missionaries in YWAM that are uh, in Thailand, they all wanted to thank you um, for loving them so well. Um, Those of you especially who have sent Christmas gifts or we sent supplies to them on this trip, uh, they feel so loved and cared for by you guys. And so I just want to say thank you to all of you who have kept in contact with them, who have sent them gifts, who have been praying for them. Um, Our missionaries feel seen. And I'll talk a little bit about that and how um, tragically that's rare. If you would turn to your Bibles this morning, if you don't have one, there's a Bible in front of you in the pew, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You know me, I'm not going to get up here and... Uh, not get into the scriptures a little bit, just a little bit, I promise. I have to keep it brief because Tyler said he had like 45 minutes for you guys. So I gotta, I gotta be really fast. You guys know how long-winded he can be. And so I'm just gonna keep going until you get up here and then you can just unload on me. So um, this was the heart behind this trip for me. This is the passage that I began to read and pray over and really feel like the Lord was giving me the heart of Paul for the church in Thessalonica. And I wanted to share this passage with you and then just talk about a few things and I'll, I'll have Tyler come up and join me. First Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul writing this letter, he says this beginning in verse 17. And I'm going to read down through ten, the first 10 verses of chapter 3. So follow along with me and, and let's, let's track with this together. Paul writes, but as for us, brothers and sisters, after we were forced to leave you for a short time, in person, not in heart, We greatly desired and made every effort to return and see you face to face. So we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. Notice this, church. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could no longer stand it, We thought it was better to be left alone in Athens, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you concerning your faith, so that no one will be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. In fact, we were with you, when we were with you, we told you in advance that we were going to experience affliction, and as you know, it happened. For this reason, when I can no longer stand it, I also sent him to find out about your faith, fearing that the tempter had tempted you and that our labor might be for nothing. But now Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news about your faith and love. He reported that you always have good memories of us and that you long to see us as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we were encouraged about you through your faith. For now we live if you stand firm in the Lord. How can we thank God for you in return for all the joy we experience before our God because of you as we pray very earnestly night and day to see you face to face and to complete what is lacking in your faith? 
What a powerful text. And you could probably see right away by reading it just initially without digging into it at all, why this mattered so much for me as we prayed over and as a leadership team made the decision that the two of us would be going to Thailand to um, do a missionary support trip. Now, I just want to give you guys a little bit of of, uh, vision, if you will, as to what this trip was meant to be. This wasn't a missions trip where we get a bunch of youth together, we corral them, and we put shock collars on all of them, and we put them in a bus and we take them down. There's some value to doing that. I'm not saying that's not a, that, that's like always a bad thing, but that's not what this trip was. We didn't go to build houses. We didn't go for them to drum up ministry for us to accomplish. This trip's purpose was for us to go as pastoral and friendly care for our missionaries specifically. And I told them this over and again as we prepared. We're coming to you to refresh you. We're coming to you to bless you. I don't want you to like drum up work for us. And I said, my goal is this, that you would shed tears of joy as we leave because you wish that we could stay, but you were so blessed by our visit. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened um, to the very last detail. This trip was not intended to accomplish some great work Although I think the work that we sought out to accomplish was a great work. And that was to minister to the hearts and the minds and the souls of our missionaries and to strengthen them in the task that the Lord's given them with the heart that Paul has for this church in Thessalonica. And I believe what you see consistently Paul express in his letters to the churches throughout the New Testament. This passage in 1 Thessalonians in the second half of chapter 2 and first half of chapter 3 I think reveals the spirit of a pastor. It reveals the heart and the spirit of a pastor for his people. And not only was this the passage of Scripture that became a theme for this trip, but I've sought to take it a little bit deeper, and I want to share this with you guys. I've sought to take it deeper and allow it to shape the way that we think about missions. I want it to shape our philosophy as a church. Lots of churches have philosophy about missions, and some of them align, and some of them are a little bit different. But I want to establish for us what our philosophy for doing outreach is that sends some of us to faraway lands where the humidity is far too high. Why God does that, why he calls us to do this, and the attitude and the mindset that we have about doing it. And I want us to shape and align ourselves with this idea that I'm not just the pastor that God has called to lead this church along with my leadership, but that God has called me to pastor these missionaries as well. That he's called me to shepherd and care for them even though they're far away. That when they're out of sight, they're not out of mind. That when they're 8,000 plus miles away from us, I looked it up when I was there, I was like, how far am I from my wife? And it was like 8,012 miles. It's like, oh, no wonder she mad. That was for the youth. You guys, <laughs> these people called me their pastor here. They were like my kids. And when they left, I felt like a part of me went with them. You know, what's interesting is over time, I've known people who have moved away and left, and it felt like as time went on, my heart got more and more used to them not being around. And I aim to keep 
the missionaries that our church has sent right here in the front of our minds and right on the very tip of our heart. I want us to be continuing to pray for them and thinking about them and concerned about what's going on with them, so much so that we go to see them. That we don't let the mileage separate us, that we close the gap. I consider myself to be their pastor even though they've been launched out into the world, mobilized to do a work abroad. And the care that I'm intended to provide for them is not just at a distance, but it's there in their field of work. It's to step into their shoes, so to speak, and actually walk in the places that they walk day in and day out. There's a problem for missionaries that's consistent with most I've conversed with on this subject, and that is that most of them do feel that when they're out of sight, they're out of mind. The communication dies off. People that used to be close friends don't communicate with them so much anymore. And they feel unseen a lot of times. I've experienced this because I've worked in a number of different missionary fields with different missionaries through churches over the years. And I think almost every missionary I visited in the field felt like they were unseen by most of the church. Even in a world where there's limited transportation, limited resources, and greater dangers than we face in our time, Paul still considers these believers in Thessalonica to be in his care and he is concerned about them. He wants to know how it's going with them. They had to leave Thessalonica, if you remember from reading the book of Acts, rather hastily, as would happen to Paul from time to time. And so he's worried about the persecution that was meted out upon him, that it was now upon the Thessalonians, and that they were suffering, that they were struggling, and that their faith might begin to shake. And I consider these missionaries in Thailand, both the transformers, yes, I'm going to use the term, where's transformers, Ian and Tina, right? Heidi, we talked about this, Transformers. We need shirts. I'm a Transformer. Even our Transformers. But I think that the non as well, who are part of this team, are also in our care. That our care for the people who were like members of our church and the team members that went with them that are not, that they are also under our care through the missionaries that we sent that we really ought to embrace this entire group of people and consider them to be our church family. That they are under our pastoral care. I can't find a place in Scripture where Paul began a ministry or had a hand in sending someone out that he wasn't concerned about their welfare and wasn't seeking to reach them most of the time personally. And if he couldn't, then he would send someone like he sent Timothy in First Thessalonians 3. If I can't get to you, I'm sending someone to you. Well, the majority of this church couldn't get to the missionaries in Thailand. So what did you guys do? You sent Tyler and you sent me along with them as a tag along. So you guys, there are five clear aspects to Paul's care for these people. And Thessalonica, and I just want to call these out. You're like, oh my gosh, he has five points. They'll be quick, I promise. Really fast. And then we'll talk about the trip. But there's five things here I think we want to pay attention to. I want to highlight them for you briefly because I aim to shape transforms missionary care and support with these things. I think that these five things shape how we think about missions as a church. Number one, there must be affection. There must be affection. Now that may seem like it's just a given, but the fact that so many missionaries feel unseen means that there is a lack of affection. It's interesting, uh, Thomas Carlyle was a Scottish historian. He taught about moral issues as well. He said that of the city of London, there are three and a half million people in this city, mostly fools. 
It's interesting. You're like, what an odd quote for this part. No, it's not really. Because, you guys, we cannot become people who are indifferent nor lacking affection. That's not who the church is. That's not how the church thinks. We can't look at the city around us. We can't think about people who are out of sight and let them become out of mind or even think, ah, that's crazy that they did that. Or think of large groups or areas as being foolish areas. Does this happen today? Where you look at an area and say, oh, for lack of a better term. Have you tried this out on someone? Mention the city, San Francisco. Yeah, every, let's so feel like, oh, oh, he's going to get that real. Yes, I'm going to get that real. You mentioned the city of San Francisco and how many people go, oh, 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 San Francisco. Did you know amazing work is happening in inner city San Francisco right now by Francis Chan? Amazing ministry is happening there. People are getting saved on the streets of San Francisco. People are getting saved on the streets of Detroit right now. People are getting saved on the streets of Chicago. And I could go around the world and show you that there is no city on this planet that we should freely hand over to Satan without resistance. We should resist him on every front because the scriptures tell us to. We shouldn't hand over any city on this planet because God loves the people in that city. And don't shake your head or make funny remarks about areas as if they're too far gone. They're outside of his reach because we serve the king of kings whose arm has not shortened and whose strength will never wane. Stand firm in this church. Every single life matters. That's what affection looks like. That I would love and care about the people who are here in Coeur d'Alene just as much as I love and care about the people who are in Bangkok. There must be affection. There must be anxiety. And you're like, Scripture tells us not to have anxiety. Hold up. Not the bad kind of anxiety that worries about things you can't control. That's not what I'm talking about. The kind that's concerned with others' welfare. There's a good kind of anxiety. You're like, eh. No, it's true. It's true. Because I can be anxious about someone's welfare and that can bring me to prayer. I can be anxious about someone's welfare and that can stir up a heart in me to give. It can compel me to something good. When we have put the best of ourselves into anything, when we've launched anything at all, we're anxious until we know how the work of our hands and of our brains will weather the storms. Have you ever invested in a people group and they leave and you're concerned about them? That's what I'm talking about. That's more than affection. You're anxious to see how they are. You see this in Paul often. If this is true of things, that what we put our work into, what we've applied ourselves to, that we have a concern about how it's used, it is still even more intensely true of the people and the lives that we've invested in. When parents have brought up children with love and sacrifice, they're anxious when those children have launched out on the difficulties and dangers of life in the world. They want to know that it's okay for their kids. That's okay, by the way. If you have concern and you're anxious for your children, let that bring you to prayer, but that is a natural thing and that's a good thing to want to know how it is with them. When teachers have taught children and put something of themselves into that teaching, and for those of you who have taught and have taught with everything you have, 
whether that's in a school setting or in a ministry setting, you know what I'm talking about. You become anxious to see how that training is going to stand the test of life in young people as they grow older. That's a good thing. Ultimately, this all resembles the heart of Christ. He stakes so much on men and women and loved them with such a sacrificial love that he anxiously watches and waits to see how they will use that for his glory. We should stand humbled and in awe when we remember that in earth and in heaven there are those who are bearing us in their hearts and watching how we get on. Our missionaries must never be out of sight and out of mind. We ought to be affectionate towards them we ought to be anxious how things are for them and we ought to let them know regularly regularly that there is help that's the third thing when paul sent timothy to thessalonica it was not nearly so much to inspect the church there as it was to help it to come alongside them and to encourage them you guys it should be the chief aim of all parents teachers preachers not so much to criticize and condemn those in their charge for their faults and mistakes but to save them from those faults and mistakes through their teaching through their encouragement through how they influence them the christian attitude to the sinner and the struggler must never be that of condemnation but always that of help hey there's a better way this is destroying you look to jesus our missionaries need to know that there's help for them that help can come through the Lord directly, and oftentimes he uses his church. There's joy. That's the fourth thing. Paul was glad that his converts were standing firm. He had the joy of one who created something which would stand the test of time. There's no joy like that of a parent who can point at their child and see and say, good job, well done, especially when they do it exactly like you told them. Someday. I'm just kidding. Now, my kids do this regularly. To their credit, they do that all the time. The fruit of the gospel in others' lives, you guys, ought to always bring about within our hearts joy. There ought to be affection. There ought to be an anxiousness about how they are. There ought to be help offered. There's to be joy in the midst of this. And the final and fifth thing is that there ought to be prayer. Paul carried his people in his heart. And if you understand the reference of the Ark of the Covenant to God's mercy seat. He carried his people to the Lord and offered them up to him continually. We'll never know how much sin we've been saved and how much temptation we've conquered all because someone prayed for us. I was having a really rough week right before we left. Some difficult circumstances, some difficult situations. And I felt encouragement like I hadn't felt for a long time in a moment. In the midst of it, just to keep going it righted my mind. It kind of adjusted my thinking. And as that happened, I found out that that morning, three sweet gals were praying for me. I found out that they were praying for me, and it came to me through a different avenue that they just felt compelled to pray. And that prayer, I recognized, like shifted my mindset in that moment. It encouraged me. The Spirit moved in that moment. You guys, true pastoral care, the heart of true pastoral care and a loving heart of the church towards others is that we would pray for them. We'll never know how much it impacts other people's lives, I don't think, this side of heaven. We can serve people in no other way. When we cannot get to them, we can pray. 
even when we're unwillingly separated from them, there is prayer. Our prayer team on Sunday mornings, and can I issue a challenge? We got more room up there. We have more room for prayer. As we gather on Sunday mornings for prayer, I want to encourage you guys to join us for that. It's an important part of what we do here in this church. 845, every single one of you is invited. You're like, oh, it's so early. No, it's not. You can do it. Come pray with us. Join us in prayer as we pray over our church and our community and our missionaries afar. Prayer changes things. If we really believe that, we ought to do it more and more together. I just challenge you to join us. I think it will make a a big difference. When our leadership team planted this ministry by the grace of God nearly four years ago, it'll be four years in November, we sought to do things differently, not because we condemn the policies and procedures of other Bible teaching churches around us. We don't. And we don't think we're better, and we don't think we're doing it any better. We see the value in what they do. And I don't think that we're called to the same thing. I see the value in what other churches do, and I think it's something that God is calling them to do. But it's not what he's asked us to do. Are we ready to do the task that he has given to us that may look a little bit different, and if you know me, a lot different? This is a shift of philosophy, church. It's a shift of mindset to think bigger than who we are here gathered in this room, to see the church abroad and to see that we are called to love the people that God has placed in our care no matter where we go. Here's an important philosophy, and then I'm going to shift gears here. I think God wants us to adopt this as a ministry. We're a launch pad. We're not a landing strip. Lots of churches exist and focus on growth. It's all about growing. Got to pump up those rookie numbers, right? It's about getting those numbers up. I don't care about the numbers. Here's what we care about. Some of you are called to be a part of this church long term. I'll let the Lord solidify that in your hearts and minds. That's not for me to say. The ones who are here and have been here long term, and some of you establishing families that came when we planted this ministry, I want to encourage you to continue to train and disciple and teach those around you while we grow together. But we are here to equip and then to launch people. We don't need another megachurch. That's my personal opinion. I'm not saying they have no use. It's not what I'm called to do. I want to be a launch pad. I don't want to be a landing strip. As people come in, we equip, we train, we disciple, and then we see what the Lord wants to do in and through them and through their lives. That's why as you look around, you're like, wow, there's like all these missionaries leaving. Why? Because we're like a bow. They come in here and all here is, like, what's that creepy sound? Just sit quietly. (laughs) Maybe a catapult's better. You guys, I don't want to be a landing strip. I want to be a launch pad. And as people come and join this ministry and feel like God's called them here for a long season, welcome! There's much to do. But for those of you who are like, I feel like the Lord's stirring my heart, I want to hear every word. Because we want to equip you, disciple you, and train you, and get you out there in the field. Because there are people who need to be reached for the gospel. We aim to be a family here. And with that familial love for one another, 
I think that we ought to seek for ways to extend that love and that care and that affection to every person that we launch. That means that when we launch, it's not like, hope they're all right. Misaimed. No, nothing like that. Like, we want you to know that there's something tied to you when you go and that we're going to be caring for you when you go. That our ties don't end when you launch. So, that's what the support trip was all about. It's what future support trips will be about. We may do missions where we go and where we work and where we serve on a project. But right now, this is what my focus is on. Caring and loving and ministering to our missionaries in times of need. We're going to talk about how we did that. So, Eric Gonzalez, if you're familiar, he was here in our church. He's one of the missionaries in Thailand. He made a video with some of the, some of the scenes of um, mostly our Bangkok time. We spent five days in Bangkok on this trip. And then the rest of the trip we spent in southern Thailand where the missionaries are living. But we actually spent some time in Bangkok to really get our grasp of culture. So the video you're about to watch is going to show a lot of things that we saw in Bangkok. And then Eric kind of gives a special word at the end of it. And as that's playing, Tyler's going to join me and we're going to talk about the trip. So Carson, if you could, hopefully the volume is not going to blow us all away, but I'll live with it. It's a man of God. I absolutely love Eric in his heart. And if you had the blessing to get to know him and his wife, Michaela, while they were here, um, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Just amazing young people. And they got married 
weeks before uh, they left to go to Thailand. So be praying for them, and we'll talk a little bit more about them. But they're also um, expecting in November, and um, they announced while we were there that it's a boy. So they have a boy on the way in November, which is very exciting. So um, I want to give you guys a brief update on just our people in Thailand, and then um, a couple of the things, and then Tyler's going to share as well. Did you notice I gave him the shorter chair? <laughs> it's by design. So <coughs> uh, here's what our missionaries have been up to for the last year. So a lot of people go into the missions field, and they just expect that the first thing you're going to do is just get out into the community and start witnessing. Well, they recognize, and especially in southern Thailand, that the language barrier is significant. Um, not only is it, is it difficult to learn the Thai language, they have over 20 vowels. A-E-I-O-U. And sometimes, why? They have over 20. And so learning the language is very difficult. It's even more difficult to be able to read and write it. And so here's the thing. Not only is it difficult to learn the Thai language, but it's easier to learn the language that you would be speaking in Bangkok, up towards the north, than it is to learn the dialects of the south, which is where they are. And so their language studies are two years, at least, and maybe three and so for the majority of their time, they're studying language right now. They're learning how to communicate with the people there, and they're investing their time in being able to forge real relationships on the ground. So for the last year, that's what the majority of their time has been spent doing is learning a language that is completely foreign and very difficult. And I'll tell you guys this, they're doing an amazing job. Um, they really struggle with the southern dialect, but when we spent the initial five days in Bangkok, it was incredible to watch Eric and Michaela communicate with people, and, and they were like, boy, we're really just having the hardest time with the language. I'm like, you guys sound fluent. Like, you guys are doing great. They're talking to people on the trains, and these people are talking to me, and I'm like, that's about all I got. I left with a couple phrases, but that's seriously all I could do. They're doing an amazing job at communicating. So as we sought to just encourage them and strengthen them and shepherd them, um, part of the heart behind that, that 1 Thessalonians 2 and 3 um, text was that we would seek out where they were struggling, where the difficulties were, and come alongside them and encourage them in those things. And I think, um, and based off of what they said, we were very effective in doing that. Um, I personally had over a dozen counseling sessions in eight days in southern Thailand. I met with every couple and every individual on their team, some multiple times. Um, issues ra ranging from just marriage encouragement and, and different situations that they were facing with their families to culture shock and all those types of things. I, I, I was just given this, um, this blessing by the Lord to really have something special to share and encourage them with each time. And so along with doing all the counseling, um, I taught multiple times, once in a church with about three minutes notice. Um, I know you guys can't imagine me ever having a lot to say on no notice. Um, but I got to teach the whole team uh, several times in their morning sessions. Um, we did outreaches in Bangkok, as Eric talked about, in Throng. We met people who uh, the team had befriended in the area. And Tyler's going to talk a little bit about those people. Um, but we were able to really see and walk with them. And you can see pictures and you can hear stories through a Zoom call. But you guys know this, I think. It's very different when you are walking where they walk. You're feeling the heat and the humidity and the situations that they're living in every day. When you're driving on the other side of the road and you feel like you're going to die. Like it's, you're just getting to experience that lifestyle with them. And it bonds you. And it helps you to really know 
how to pray for them and how to encourage them. So um, Tyler's going to share some of the stories that, that really impacted him and anything else. You got like, you got an hour, so go for it. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to fill an hour. That's too long. <laughs> Which, if Mike's giving me a hard time about being long-winded, you guys may not believe this, but Mike taught an actual short sermon. It was probably 10, 15 minutes. I did it! It was. <laughs> I told you I had one in me. I gave it to them. It was, I didn't save it for you guys, though. It, you get all the long ones. It was so short, they asked him to go longer. <laughs> See, they appreciate Sorry. me in Thailand. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, Mike and I got to see a lot and do a lot, but I'm going to share two stories, um, kind of two cool things of ministry that we got to witness and kind of a common theme that ran through both of them. Um, first of all, when me and, uh, Mike were in Bangkok, we got to visit a place called the Ruth Center. Um, it is a ministry that helps, uh, elderly people, uh, takes care of them and, uh, kind of gives them, uh, helps them take care of their basic needs. Um, it, the story from how it is very, uh, very cool to see how God work. It all started with a lady named, uh, named Pinoy. Um, she gave up an opportunity to have a really nice corporate life um, and said that uh, God called her. Um, it began when she saw one grandma sitting outside all by herself, and she went and talked with that grandma and uh, listened to her, just heard her story, and this grandma had no one else to take care of her. She was out there all by herself, and Pinoy told her, she's like, I will come back and see you again. Um, I think it was, she said, one week from now at this time. And grandma's like, sure, that's what they all say. Yeah, I probably will never see you again. And Pinoy came consistently week after week and for uh, well, for as long as she could. And about a year later, um, the grandma gave her heart to the Lord because she was able to feel God's love. And then that grandma brought on another one who brought another one. And this ministry grew. Um, and now it's this Ruth Center, and they're housing elderly people. Um, a cool story is that they, in 2020, were able to buy some land for a farm so that they are now self-sufficient um, and able to house the uh, elderly people there as well. Um, and it was very cool for us to be able to see how uh, God had worked with her who had had nothing. She All she had was her time and herself to give. And because she was faithful with little, God was with her and grew it. And now she's taking care for was it 350? Mm -hmm. There's 350 elderly people now. Mm -hmm. um, so while me and Mike were there, we got to hear her story, which is much more in-depth. There's many miracles and ways that God has been able to work through her. Um, but then after hearing her story, she took us out with her to go into some of the slums and kind of see some of the work that she does. Um, we talked with some of the grandmas through, well, she more talked with the grandmas and then translated through herself and told us about their stories. Um, Mike led us in worship. Um, we sang in English. They sang in Thai. And uh, it was very cool to see their relationship. And that even during that, she's not really bringing them supplies or anything during that time. But she was just going there, sitting down, and would just talk with them and hear their stories, hear about their needs, listen to what's happening to their families. And it was very neat to see. Um, we saw... 
what, three or four grandmas. One of the grandpas didn't want to talk, mm -hmm. really. Um, and in fact, there was one grandma there who had lost her whole family. She had no one there. And uh, Thais are very reserved. They don't show their emotions or anything. Mm -hmm. But Pinoy went and talked with her, listens to her, and uh, brought the uh, Thai grandma to tears. She was crying openly because she has no one else to talk to or anyone else who cares about her. Um, and so it was very touching to see someone, um, especially like Pinoy, who had other opportunities to give that up and live with people who are completely forgotten. If you were to go visit Bangkok, you would never see these people. They're in the back. Um, and they're loved, though, by people like Pinoy and her team. Um, so that was in Bangkok. And then when we went to Throng, um, Mike and I got to sit in on a lunch with Eric and Michaela and a Muslim couple who they became friends with. Uh, their names are Don and Gee. And what, what, was it second day there? Yeah. It was, I think it was yeah. our second day in yep. Throng that we got to meet them. Um, so Don is a local police officer, and then I believe the restaurant we were in is one they own. Mm -hmm. um, so they were super generous. Some of the kindest, most hospitable people I think I've met. Um, brought us out tons of food. They even brought out a super expensive tea that, if I understood correctly, they had brought back from a trip on, to China. Mm -hmm. um, super generous, a super long lunch. Um, I walked out of there, and Mike probably agrees with me. When I walked out of that lunch, it was only day two in Throng. I was like, this is probably the best part of the whole trip. Um, <laughs> Mike and I can't speak any Thai, and Eric and Michaela are still working on theirs, and it was evident, the love that was shared at that table. Um, Eric and Michaela communicating with uh, Don and Guy. Um, Don and Guy love Eric and Michaela so much. Um, they care a lot about their baby, are constantly asking questions about the baby. Um, they want to know about Mike and I's family. So we're able to show them pictures and whatnot, and <laughs> we found out that he's the son of Colonel Sanders. <laughs> so, <laughs> even was, even with news. our inability to speak Thai, we both <laughs> grabbed when he when he looked at a picture of my dad. He goes KFC. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I was floored. I couldn't believe. I was like, "How did I never? How many of you guys know my dad?" Okay, that's all you're going to think of now is, is KFC. Colonel Sanders, baby. I actually changed his profile picture in my phone in that moment to Colonel Sanders. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was the hilarious moment. And he said it so innocently. There was, oh. He just was, matter of fact, it's Colonel Sanders. Great. So uh, um, that launch was amazing. It was really cool to see that in one year, Eric and Michaela have such a close friendship um, uh, they've gotten to know this couple really well, and even like Mike and I being there, and we got to be with a couple a couple a few times. Um, they really did feel like friends. They were so kind, and um, they treated us very well. Our last full day there, they came and had dinner with the whole team, and uh, afterwards they took us to their dad's or his dad's restaurant, and they uh, gave us a whole bunch of desserts, and. Uh, I believe it's all a gift. They didn't charge us for any of it. They just wanted to share. They cared about us. They even came and uh, to the airport to say goodbye to Mike and I as we left. Um, uh, kind of all the formalities went out. Uh, Don was a lot less informal with Mike. He wanted to give Mike a hug. It wasn't uh, why? a why. Um, he wouldn't let me why anymore because mm -hmm. we're friends. 
Yeah. So that's like a thing, like, don't do that. That's formal and don't be formal with me. Yeah. Um, um, and it was, that was probably the most touching moments is being with them. And um, the love that is felt goes way beyond any language barriers. Um, even though Eric and Michaela, like I said, they're still working on it. Um, just the fact that they're trying to communicate and they care about Don and Guy goes so far. Then Don and Guy are kind of doing the same back to them. Um, so that was one of the top top experiences pretty much of all time was being around Don and Guy. Um, in fact, also, Don and Guy got to go to the ultrasound with Eric and Michaela to find out what their baby was going to mm-hmm. be. Um, and so some of that kind of was a common theme throughout uh, the whole trip, but especially these two moments, was the, uh, I think Eric talked about, it was like, we can talk about apologetics and minute points of like theology and kind of our debates, and there's a time and place for those, but real life ministry is so much about the relationships, and that's how they're able to become friends with the ties and minister them. Um, no ties were, are won over really through the great apologetics. It's through a close relationship and seeing that they're loved and cared for. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Ty. Um, I just want to reiterate that that couple that they have this amazing friendship with is Muslim. Um, And they are the sweetest, most generous people I think I've ever met. Um, Just beautiful people. And um, yeah, it, it, it is so helpful to go and spend time in other places of the world and get to know people and really see where they're coming from. Um, and I honestly think, you guys, that Eric and Michaela are going to lead these two to Jesus. Um, they're asking very compelling questions about the Lord, about salvation. Um, so be praying for them. And There's so many stories that we could share about our trip. 16 days is, is a long time to be away from home and a long time to be in another place. I really felt like some of those situations were really impactful for us because they were unexpected. But the things that you experience when you get out of your comfort zone, you get out of your norm, and you start meeting people that you wouldn't normally meet. Um, I think that seeing the, the need of Thailand and seeing the, the usefulness of our missionaries there not only to... Um, to bring that relational and, and that friendship to them, but also to bring them um, this opportunity to hear the gospel that's not common, especially in southern Thailand. Um, to see how they're going to do that and see the vision for that is huge. Um, so I'd actually like to show you guys at, at their one-year mark. We were there for the one-year anniversary for our, our team. It's a YWAM team that's there in Throng, but it's the one-year anniversary of our missionaries being there. They announced their focus nation, and what, what they typically do is every YWAM base has a nation that they focus on to send people out to. So they bring students in, they do a discipleship training school, and then once they're done with that, the, the schooling side of it, they go into the field and they do ministry in the field in a focus nation. Well, they feel like God's calling them to do something a little bit different than has been done in the past. And so they announced that while we were there, and we actually want to show you guys the video that they showed their team like a week ago, um, when they had their their one-year mark. And this is a big deal for the YWAM team because this is how they're going to focus their efforts because they believe that not only are they called to minister the Thai people, but as Thai people get saved, that they are to mobilize them to go. They're to mobilize them to go and to preach the gospel as well. And so um, 
Carson's going to start this video for us, but I just want to say this at the very beginning. Um, this video is actually made by Brandon and Angela, are the, the directors of YWAM Throng. Their son, who's 16, made this video, and I thought he did a really good job of it, but it's the reveal for what their focus nations are going to be. So, Carson, we can put that on. Did you catch that? <laughs> do you see what they aim to do? Someone say it. What are they trying to do? The whole world. They feel like they are called to be a mobilizing center in Thailand to reach the unreached of the world. Lots of people look and say that's an impossible task. It might be if they do it alone. But I love that line in that video, you guys, and I just want you to hold on to this. We're going to do what's not getting done. That's why Transform is partnering with them. That's why we're in this with them because that's the job that we want. Lord, let us find an ability to do the job that's not getting done. That's why we exist. That's why this church family exists. You may think, oh, dude, this is too much. I'm just Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, bro. I, like, I just wanted to go to a local community church. You are in a local community church. Now let's start loving the communities all around the world by loving this one and mobilizing people and sending them to those places and caring for our missionaries that went into this unreached nation and are seeing real change. The next generation of Thais are very open to the gospel. They're not like their parents. It's starting to shift this culture of to be Thai is to be Buddhist. It's changing. These youth are asking questions. They want to know about the gospel. They want to know about Jesus. And I believe that we are going to see a massive work of God in this nation. And I think that that work mobilized could affect the neediest red. It's interesting. That really excites me. That's something that makes me like really ready to go and do, do the work. But I don't know how it makes you guys feel. But we'll know in time. We'll know in time, and this is the thing. I want to challenge you guys to soften your hearts and pray about what God's calling you to do. How God's calling you to have an impact, not just on your community, but on the world. The fact of the matter is this. Our nation should be mobilizing more missionaries than any other. And I don't think we are. To see a little base in Thailand, in southern Thailand, and throng with 19 missionaries in it that are willing to step up and say, we want to do this. Our cynical minds look at that and say, I think that's a little bit too much, you guys. Really? Do you think God thinks it's too much? Do you think the Holy Spirit thinks it's too much? Maybe if we got more involved, we get a little bit closer. Maybe if we actually get excited about what God wants to do in His world, we're going to see real change. I don't know what the future looks like for us and our involvement, but I know this. This team will be getting visits from me. This team will be strengthened by our leadership. They will continue to find support in us. And I pray and I hope that you guys see the importance of what we're doing. Let's love our neighbor. That means the people across the street and the people 8,000 miles away. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for a birth of a bigger vision. Lord, I ask that you would encourage us and that you would excite us for what you want to do. Lord, I don't know what it's going to entail for Transform Ministries 
to be more involved in what's going on around the world, but I know that I'm not I'm not wanting to be complacent. Lord, of all the people in this room, I think Tyler and I should feel the most complacent. We're very tired this morning. (laughs) We're very worn out. It's been a very long road. But God, I recognize that you are calling us to something bigger. And from the very beginning, we sought to change the mindset of what you were able to do by calling this a ministry. Not because we weren't a church, but because the church is a people and because we want to be dynamic and we want to be used in more ways than the way that the American church thinks of church. That it just happens on Sunday morning, that it might happen on a Wednesday night, that it might happen in a home gathering. And Lord, those things are key. Those are important, but they're not everything. Lord, we just recognize that you have called us to make disciples And you called your disciples to go and to make more disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And somehow we've become insular in our country. We've become about who's across the street, which is important, and not about the people who are out of sight. That we cease to care somehow. And Lord, I pray that we would care. I ask, Lord, that you would compel us to action, that you would call us out. And Lord, for those of us who need to support, that we would support financially, that we would support through prayer. And for those who are here this morning who are feeling the call to go, that they would begin taking steps to go, that they would begin training to go. Lord, that we would be ready to equip them. Lord, I thank you so much for the support of this church. Our trip would not have happened without this body this church family and lord i am so overwhelmingly blessed to be a pastor in this ministry to lead these people and to care for these people and i pray lord that every person here would have no doubt in their mind how much they're loved and lord that i want them with me on this that we need to do this together and so lord would you just convict us would you show us how we can get involved Thank you for the love and the appreciation and the support of our missionaries for us. Lord, it may seem like we're supporting them, but they support us as well. They pray for us. They check in on us. They care about us. They love us. And Lord, this team that's over there, I thank you that you've given us the ability to not just love and care for our five missionaries that left this church a year ago to accomplish this task long term. But Lord, you've allowed transformed ministries to be loved and around the entire group. Lord, that people that don't call this home felt and appreciated by this church body. Lord, that they were brought to tears at the generosity of these people. I pray, God, that that affection, that brotherly love, that familial love that we experience in you would continue that you would continue to send and continue to work and continue to compel us to stretch out and to step out of our comfort zones. Maybe the thing that's going through our mind right now is lunch. Maybe the thing that's going through our mind right now is what we need to do today before the week begins tomorrow. But Lord, I pray that you would slow our minds down, you would slow our process down, and that we would seriously ask you with open hearts, what would you like us to do? What are you calling me to do? May we not find our identity in our occupation. Jesus, let us find our identity in you. Let us find our identity 
in the fact that you have saved us from our sin and that we are in Christ. We are extensions of your love, of your body. And so Lord, would you reach out with us and touch the lives of those that you desire to save. The lost and the unreached and the broken in this world who live in filth. Lord, who live lost in idolatry as they, as they grab these, these relics and as they rattle them in cans and as they go to their boards and they look for what they need to, to light on fire, to burn incense, to gain favor from some spirit. As they run themselves through with blades because they feel the power of a demon possessing them, running through them. Lord, would you liberate people through your church. Free them from the bondage of spiritual oppression. Free them from the bondage of idolatry. Lord, how are they going to hear unless we are sent? It's not just up to our missionaries in the field. We're called to partner with them. We're called to stand in the gap with them. Lord, you call us in different ways, but may you find an answer in every single heart in this room. The heart of Isaiah, when you said, who will go, who will speak for us? And he said, here I am, Lord, send me. I will go. I'll do what you ask me to do. Whether that's ministering to my workers here in Coeur d'Alene, whether it's the reaches of Kootenai County, Idaho, this country, or whether you send us far, far away. Here we are. Send us. May transform be a launch pad so that the world will know you, so that there will be believers, so that there will be a church in every nation giving worship and honor to you, Jesus, our King. Inhabit the praises of your people. Enable us to worship you this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name.